Welcome to the Confidence and Communication Podcast. I'm your life coach, Jessica Dumas. I'm a professional speaker and coach who empowers women everywhere to use their voice to take up space and change the world. My goal is to help you speak with clarity and confidence while giving you practical guidance and tools by sharing real life experiences of overcoming. So turn up the volume and grab a pen. You're gonna wanna write this down. Welcome to the Confidence and Communication Podcast. I have a guest with me today. Her name is Tasha Spillett Sumner, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about her bio, and we're going to hear from Tasha about her experience in so many different things. So let me just get into the bio before I start talking about that. So Tasha Spillett Sumner draws her strength from both her Cree and Trinidadian bloodlines. She is a New York Times bestselling author, a new mother, a celebrated educator, and emerging scholar. Tasha is most heart-tied to contributing to community-led work that centers land and water defense and the protection of Indigenous women and girls. In her work as a doctoral candidate, did I say that right? Doctoral candidate. (laughs) She's weaving together her cultural identity and commitment to community to produce a body of research that amplifies Indigenous women's demands for justice for missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people, and serves as a continuation of the resistance against the assault of colonialism. So Tasha, I know as someone who's just very, very strong woman, very bold, but also very humble and gentle. And I really admire that about you. So thanks so much for being a guest on my podcast. Thank you for the invitation, Jessica. I'm happy to be here. Yay. You've done so many things. One of the things that your the bio that I just read doesn't say is that you're also a TEDx spe- or sorry a TED speaker. Mm-hmm. Have you done more than one TED talk? No, I did the one TED talk, and it was probably one of the most nerve wracking experiences that really? I really. Yeah, I loved it. Like I do, I loved it. I love that there's this living kind of capture of what my life was at the time and how I expressed myself at the time. But I remember before the filming just being like completely uh, like, why am I, why did I say yes to this? Uh, but I, I love the experience overall. Yeah, I can totally relate. When I did the TEDx talk, that was 2017. When did you do yours? You know, I can't remember. It would have been, it would have been around, I think around that time too. Yeah. It, I like how you just said it was a snapshot of who you were at the time, because that's how I think of mine. Like, I, I, I'm i not the kind of person that's like, oh, you should watch my TED Talk or kind of push it out sort of thing, because I feel like that's who I was then, but I'm not that person anymore. So it's just really interesting to hear you say that. I wonder if other TED speakers <laughs> feel the same way about it. I hope so. You know, like, I hope, like, I hope to always feel that about the work that I put out. Um, because, you know, it's really about showing where you are in your own growth. And I want to be like a lifetime learner. I want to be someone who welcomes and accepts new experiences. And I hope that those things do shift me and shape me along the way. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I love that. And I never really thought about it that way. 
Because so, for example, one of the things that I want to do and what I, I might start doing this year, actually saying this out loud now is write a book and like write an autobiography on myself. And there's been times in the past where I would just ask myself the question, is this something that I want to do? And I felt like I wasn't ready yet. I just it just wasn't time. And now I'm starting to feel like it's time. So it's interesting because I was talking to a friend yesterday and she said, I don't think it'll be your only book. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I haven't even started writing the first one. So, yeah. I think that that is like precisely the kind of message that people need to receive to get out of their own way. Because the enormity of thinking that some project is going to be your singular life work is enough to completely paralyze you. So if you're like, this is the one big thing I'm going to do in my life, like, oh my gosh, like that's enough to be like scared to do that thing. But if you think of that, this is something that I'm going to do this year. This is something I'm going to do for myself or my family right now. And there will be other things. I think that that allows you a freedom to kind of step into just starting. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. So let's talk about you being a New York Times bestseller. (laughs) So that is like, I imagine every writer's dream. Tell us about the book that took you there. And like, what was that experience like when you found out? So while it might be every writer's dream, it wasn't even in my wheelhouse in terms of a projected goal for myself. I never saw myself on the New York Times bestseller list. It wasn't on my bucket list. It is something that found me at a very like unexpected time. So I remember, like I remember so clearly because it was like at a very intense time in my own mother mothering. Our our daughter Isabella was just starting to teeth. And I remember sitting in the living room with her and trying to calm her down and she was so cranky. And the phone rang and um, I saw it with my editor and I like, I was thinking like, oh, I'm not even going to answer. Like I was just so at capacity at the moment, but I I decided to answer and she said something like, oh, hi, Tasha, are you sitting down? And I was like, "Uh, (laughs) yes. And she said, you know, I'm about to tell you something that will change your life forever and something that, you know, not very many people can say. She's like, you are now New York Times bestseller. And I thought, like, what? Like, I, you know, remember that show Punked? It was kind of like that feeling. Like, I couldn't believe, like, it still kind of feels like it hasn't really landed on me yet. Yeah, like, what does that mean, right? Yeah, it still feels a little bit strange and foreign, foreign to me. So the book itself, like I sing you down from the stars, was written at a time when we were hoping to build our family, when we were wanting to have our daughter And it kind of the story through the process of writing, like the first manuscript, the editing, like being attached to an illustrator, all those steps kind of followed me through my pregnancy with my daughter. And so the book itself is a year, just a year older than my daughter. Wow. Almost exactly a year older than my daughter. And it's just lived this life, this unexpected life, big, beautiful life that I didn't foresee when I when I was writing the manuscript and I'm so grateful for it also because you know I became a mom in the pandemic I always say that nobody was nobody is supposed to parent in isolation becoming a parent in the pandemic has completely rocked my world and 
made me into a different person entirely. And I think that my motherhood does that just generally, mm-hmm. but becoming a mother in a global pandemic is next level. Like it is something else. And through the book, I've been able to make community, make that village that I think people richly deserve uh, through storytelling, through connection with other families, especially connections with other mothers. And so, you know, I'm so every day I'm grateful for the life that I get to share with the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. I sing you down from the stars. So I originally thought you wrote the book after your daughter was born. So it's it's neat to hear that it was written before she was here. Right. Yeah. So there's multiple levels to the story. Like I wrote the story at the time I was wanting to become a parent and edit it through my pregnancy. But also my daughter is named for her great grandmother who passed away just shortly after or just shortly before she she came to be. And my husband always says, you know, crater never leaves an empty space. And that, you know, we lost his mom, but then we got pregnant with my daughter, like within a very short period of time. So I always feel like they just cross paths Mm -hmm. on the way into the world and the way out of the world. Uh, And so, you know, like this story is such a personal story. Like it's about it's about connection uh, with where, you know, in a cultural where, where we believe children come from. And it's about purpose, the purpose of building a family, the intention of building a family. And so I feel so lucky to be able to like share space, with the book and the life that it's having. Yeah. Wow. That's, it's beautiful. Like even just hearing you talk about it, it has so much love in it. And when you talk about how it was written with intention, I can imagine like my baby making days are over. (laughs) We just talked about that before recording, but I I can imagine how many mothers just need to hear those words. That's just to feel that support and to, to have that sort of confirmation about motherhood and desires and love, all of that stuff. That's amazing. It's so incredible. You mentioned like having a baby during the pandemic. I feel like that should be like a whole other conversation. I mean, definitely not with me. I don't think I'm the right person to lead that conversation, but that's something that needs to be talked about. Holy smokes. Yeah, I I do agree because, you know, like I, you know, like they say, it takes a village to raise a child. It also takes a village to support a mother, to support new new parents and you know people who especially in those early days like my daughter was born March 3rd 2020 so just days before the first lockdown where we live uh and so like there wasn't that there was no village there was no village for her there was no village for us and so I think that we've had to we've had to find coping mechanisms we've had to find different ways to Um, internally find the fortitude to raise this child, to figure out how to be parents, to keep her safe, and to try to navigate having connections with family members who couldn't be physically present. I do think there's a lot, a lot to unpack for parents, especially new parents during the past two and a half years. I really hope that now, as things begin to shift once more, that people are finding the supports that they deserve to have for themselves and their children. Mm-hmm. Are you a full-time writer? Is that what you spend your time I doing? I'm a full-time lots of things. which <laughs> yeah. yeah. And full-time mother. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't always work out. So I write, I write, and then I do contract work and I'm working on my PhD. And 
aside from motherhood, which is my number one, those are my three other things that I kind of, you know, juggle after in what's left over after being Isabella's mom. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but writing, I feel like is just, I just feel like I'm waiting for a story to come through. And so I'm not the kind of writer and I never have been that can sit down at my computer and just pump out a story. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen to me. I've tried I've tried, you know, like I have a a friend and a a dear friend and a mentor, David Robertson, who, you know, is a very prolific writer. He has a writing practice where I think he writes a thousand to fifteen hundred words a day. Uh, And that's like I admire that. It's just not it's just not me. I I, I can't write until the story Mm -hmm. comes through. And, you know. And then it, when then when it does, bam, the book comes up very easily. Yeah. But until that time, it just is a struggle. Some of the ways that my clients and I will talk about that is getting a download, like you're waiting for the inspiration, right? And I behave that way in my coaching practice. If I have an idea that I want to, uh, I think I want to, you know, share something with my audience on Instagram or something with my clients, I put out the intention and then I just wait. <laughs> Because I'm also not the kind of person that's like, well, I, this is what I think I want to do and just make it happen. I'd rather work by allowing that energy to flow through me. And then that way, I don't have to doubt it. <laughs> Would you say that there's like a, a time where those ideas come to you? Like when you're, for example, for me, when I'm showering or when I'm driving, and that, I, that's something that I think that you hear from a lot of people. So when do you get your ideas? When do you get your downloads? So I I also agree it does feel like a download for sure and there's a freedom in that because it almost becomes um, not so personal when you feel like the catalyst of something or when you feel like it moves through you like sorry not the catalyst but the vessel of something Mm -hmm. uh, then it kind of like it doesn't belong to you it's just moving through you and it's going to do its own thing in the world which Mm -hmm. I like and those moments for me driving for sure and and at the end of the day once my girl is asleep like uh those I feel like are the only times when my mind is kind of still like I have a two and a half year old so there's a lot of like, energy <laughs> yeah but in those yeah. moments of driving um and at the end of the day like before I go to bed I feel like that's when things come through a little bit more strongly mm-hmm Yeah, for sure. I love that time. And this is something that I remembered early as a parent was bedtime is such a sensitive time, right? It's such a, there's that transition from daytime to nighttime and from wake time to dream time. And so I always found that sleep time and bedtime is such a sacred time. And I remember when my kids were small that I, that's when we would have our moments together because I was working all day. They were at school all day. Right. And then everything's rush, rush, rush. So I really, I loved that time too. I loved bedtime. And, uh, that's when I think that's when people probably worry the most, they dream the most. So when those ideas are coming to you, are you writing them down immediately? Or like, what do you do? What is your like go-to? So you don't lose that thought. The notes app on my phone. Definitely. I just, you know, will jot it down there because it's, you know, even if I don't um, pick it up and run with it, it still lives there. And I can go back to it and be like, oh, yeah, I started this. Maybe that's something I want to do now. But definitely there are so many like half written Instagram <laughs> post ideas, storylines housed in the, the notes on my phone. Oh, yeah, me too. I It's packed. Like, I don't even know. 
like at some point I'm going to get another notification that I have too many or something like that. Cause that's like all of my stuff, Jessica, stop saving stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so what does it feel like taking an emotional story or something that you have, you know, downloaded in a quiet emotional time? What does it feel like bringing something so sacred to the world? Very vulnerable feeling. It's uh, for me, it's, it's a very vulnerable feeling and vulnerability is not something that I'm naturally comfortable with. And so that's also paired with quite a bit of anxiety. And I've just in the past, you know, two years been able to say like, I am a person who lives with quite a bit of anxiety. And I think like I've always had anxiety and that's, that's really what has propelled me to be like a super achiever is the level of anxiety I live with. But now, you know, since so much energy goes into mothering, I'm trying to just like really pause on that, look at that energy that is the anxiety and try to figure out how to release it in different ways than just super productivity. Because the truth is that I just don't have the energy that I did before mothering, the energy that was, you know, in getting degrees and doing all kinds of all kinds of things. And so when I produce something, when something moves through me and I share it with the world, it's like a feeling of like vulnerable, anxious energy until it gets received uh, by someone who I kind of like love, trust. And then it's like, okay, it's going to be okay. This thing is going to be okay out in the world. But Mm -hmm. until then, I just like feel uh, knots in my stomach, to be honest knots in my stomach and I'm like oh like I feel like I'm holding my breath until it's like okay no this is going to be okay people have received it uh and it's you know landing landing with people in in a way that is you know loving and kind because sometimes like not everything like in my picture book like that's a very loving and kind story but not everything I have to say is that same energy like you know we live in a very we live with many competing forms of oppression, many competing forms of injustice, and those things need to be spoken on as well. And I have thoughts about a lot of things. And so sometimes I share those thoughts and I try to do it in a way that um, welcomes people into a conversation rather than shuts people down. But I know that sometimes, you know, we can't control how information is received. And so I think that that's where most of the anxiety comes from. Like, I don't want to harm anyone and what, what I, when I've said or what I've shared. So it's definitely like a, oh, like an uncomfortable, an mm-hmm. uncomfortable moment. And do you feel that over and over? Like, so you said that you get that confirmation when someone that you care about has received it and that sort of settles it. But do you feel like it it comes back ever? Or is that like for that one thing, it's like, oh, I'm okay now on this area? It does come back if there, if for some reason, what I've shared gets a lot of kind of energy around it. So if I, you know, all I post about is my daughter right now, but in my life before her, <laughs> if I shared something, let's say if it got like multiple shares or multiple comments, I would feel that anxiety bubble up again. Because mm. uh, mm-hmm. then I feel responsible for taking care of that statement, mm. those words, those sentiments as they move through the world. And they, 
you know, like social media can be such a battlefield at times. I don't actually miss engaging with social media in a way where, you know, thoughts go viral or those kinds of things, because honestly, like that anxiety that I feel, you know, it's not worth it for me where I'm at right now. Back then when I had like lots of time to relax after or like take a moment, it was fine. Mm -hmm. But now it's just not how I want to invest my energy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I totally agree. So you mentioned anxiety and vulnerability. And I literally remember when I had my first like panic attack, I didn't know what the heck it was. I was like, what's wrong with me? This is really weird. It would have been like, I want to say 2000 and I don't know. I can't remember. But I feel like, well, I guess I wonder if like anxiety has always been what it is today because I talk to so many people and I feel like more and more people are starting to acknowledge or say it out loud that they struggle with anxiety. I struggle with anxiety. I like, I believe that I've just, I've created a lot of practices around it to take care of myself so I could do the work that I want to do. So with having that anxiety and being vulnerable to put yourself out there, like you're doing it on such different scales because the work that you're doing in community is one thing, which I imagine there's not as much of like anxiety or uh, the feel your personal feeling of vulnerability around it. But I mean, even just me saying that out loud, I realize it's not up for it's not up to me to say that. But then on like such a huge scale, yet you're the same person, right? You're the same person putting out that work, putting out that passion. So how do you, like, what do you do to sort of cope when it's on a a bigger scale? And and what does that scale look like for you? You know what I've I've tried to do is really examining the ego attached to it, which I think helps me release some of the anxiety. Because you remember when we were talking about how ideas and thoughts and kind of get downloaded and I said something like you know it helps depersonalize it it helps take the personal kind of like response not the responsibility but it does make it less personal I'm just the vessel for this and so if I truly believe that then when I imagine like when the book goes out when the books go out in the world or when the thoughts go out in the world if I'm just the, the vessel for it then I've put it out and people can take what they want for it, from it and they can leave what they don't want and that's okay. And that helps me. And then just being okay, like this is not for everyone. You are not, I'm not for everyone. This idea is not for everyone, but it's going to find the people and the places and the times that it needs to. Uh, and the rest of it is okay. When I take out the ego of it, like I am not the only person who had this idea in this world. in the world. I am not the person who will say it the best. I'm not the one who will express it in 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 the most smooth ways. Then it allows gives it gives me some grace just to be like, you know, this is my contribution for the time that we're in. It's gonna find the people that it needs to find, and that's okay. And it's not gonna be for everyone, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's what helps me really deal with the anxiety on the smaller scales and on the larger scales. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know who will find the books that I that I've written. I don't know when they will find it, what will be going in their, on in their life when they find it. Um, and, you know, I can't imagine trying to uh, be that perfect equation for everyone for what they need at the moment. 
and it might be my book and it might be somebody else's book and it might be a book that they write and whatever the possibility is, it's they're going to find the right thing for them at the time. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's incredible. I love that you said, I might not be the best person to say this, but you're you're contributing to it. This is how you're putting it out there. And I really appreciate that you said that because I think one of the things that that I had to bring myself to when I started speaking and sharing ideas out loud and that sort of thing was being okay with just being a part of the conversation. But I think what happens a lot with women, and I know this because of the coaching that I'm doing with brilliant women, is they're afraid to say something because so-and-so already said it or somebody already talked about this, this idea, so I can't talk about it. So how did you get to being that place where it's okay for me to say this because I, I, I don't have to be responsible for everything on the internet, basically? Mm-hmm. I'm being raised by the woman that I was raised by that's my simple answer and so I feel like a strong teaching that came from her is the importance of humility and just understanding that you know we all have a contribution to make towards the well-being of the collective and each contribution is unique and each contribution is valuable in its own way and different in its own way and so and also the understanding that there actually are no new knowledges that exist in the world that new, that knowledges get recycled and adapted and represent themselves for the time that they are in when they need to present themselves to move people forward to move thoughts forward and everyone you know all those knowledges pass through a very unique person and so when they pass through and they get re-expressed through that person they are going to look different uh, and so I think that that's okay And, you know, also just to remind us that knowledges only live when they are shared. Knowledges die when they are not shared. And so, you know, I used to feel a lot of ownership, like, oh, these are, this is, these are my words. This is my thought. And I remember like seeing, for example, in my younger years, seeing people post on Facebook and be like, oh, so-and-so basically just chopped up what I said in like, added a few things and put it out there and I would get really disgruntled with that Mm -hmm. that's ego I now see that as ego knowledges that pastor me are not mine they just are like I'm just sharing them and you know the people will take what they need and they'll add what they need and it will become something else and that that's that's okay now I find comfort in you know consuming a lot of the content by people who have similar passions as I do, for example, like Andrea Landry, amazing thinker on Indigenous motherhood. So many of her thoughts have afforded me to feel comfort and confident in the decisions that I make as a parent. Um, the given me clarity and definition of how I want to express myself. Her courage and her vulnerability in some ways lends me. Uh, I guess, uh, lends me kind of permission, I suppose, mm-hmm. permission to step into what I want to say. And I have that, like, and that's just one example. Andrea is just one example. So many women around me, you know, I feel like they're amplifying the thoughts in my head. And then I'm like, okay, well, you know, I, I can say it too. I'll say it differently based on my mm-hmm. positionality. But I welcome that now before I was afraid of it, before Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, it made me made what I was saying less than 
that's not the case mm-hmm. is just adds to what we are what we all have to share mm. That's beautiful. I love the way that you said all of that. Like no idea is original. It's so important for us to to be vocal, to translate that knowledge from our own experience. But uh, yeah, so beautifully said and and I totally agree with you. And I love like I love a thing like Instagram. And I know there like I've heard a lot of people say, "Oh, I can't stand social media. It's so negative. There's so much drama." And I'm like, "I don't know what you're talking about." Like <laughs> I I treat my social media the way that I treat uh, anything else that I want to have in my life. Like I unfollow crap all the time because I don't want that in my life. And I'm constantly following things that are inspiring and, you know, that are basically saying the things that I want to say, but in, in different words, like you just said. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, we get to create our world. And I think social media is like those micro worlds that we create. And people should know that it is okay, like you said, to un- un- unfollow the things that do not serve you in a good way. Right. Yeah, make make everything your own. Absolutely. Do you ever Google yourself? Yeah. I've had to Google myself to do things like quickly find a bio. <laughs> uh, and I- I remember the first time I Googled myself, I was like, oh, that's weird. I actually remember the, <laughs> the, the, the most uncomfortable thing was Googling myself just like maybe in the past couple of years and finding a Wikipedia page about about me. And I was thinking, like, who took the time to make this? Like, it's so feels so, so strange. Uh, also, a good reminder that to really ensure that that I am keeping up the level of privacy that I want for my life because we have to be careful what what we share and how we share it uh, and you know to ensure that we're honoring our own boundaries and to making sure how much people have access to our lives and information about us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Good reminder. So for other women out there who they want to write a book or they want to just be more confident and speak more from their own authentic voice, what kind of advice would you have for them? I would, if for like specifically people, women who are interested in writing books, mm-hmm. I would ask them to please, you know, this is so simple, but just do it. Just um, get the story out of your mind onto whatever onto a paper, onto your notes, onto your computer. Just start. Because I know it can be daunting. I've been there when you think of the enormity of writing a book or, you know, taking that next step. But it's important to just start, even if it's like with a couple words, even if it's with a quick brainstorm. Just the action, I guess, like the spark. Like just the action of beginning is so powerful because once you begin, at least it's moving forward. If you keep it in your mind, it, it'll never live a life, you know, it will be trapped there. Also, I think remind people, like we talked a lot about the download thing. Mm-hmm. If you're being given something, you have a responsibility to share it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's also important to recognize that. Um, it's not yours to keep. If you have a gift, if you have a story, if you have a thought to share, it was given to you for a purpose. And that purpose exists far beyond the landscape of your mind. It has to exist in the world. And so find the strength within yourself to bring it into the world. Uh, and just know, just know that you, you know, you are the expert in your own experience. 
You are the number one authority on the story that you have to tell. You are the right person to tell that story. And so just, you know, just do that first step, that first brave leap into starting it. And it will, it will naturally unfold. It will carry you through to however it's supposed to the final form that is supposed to exist in the world. Thank you. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. I think, I think everyone can use that. It's kind of like a smack on the head, if you will, like <laughs> in, a, in, a, smack. in a much gentler way, but sometimes we just need to hear, like you're given that gift for a purpose, quit holding it to yourself. You're going to do amazing things. You don't know what can come out of that. Right. that that's what I'll call a smack in the head. Anything yeah. else you want to share? No, I just feel so lucky to have had this conversation. Uh, and I invite I invite listeners to join to join me on my Instagram to kind of uh, follow the work that I do to get a glimpse of the beautiful tornado that is my daughter who runs my world. And also I'm very accessible. Like I like connecting. I really do like connecting with people, especially with women. And so I invite I invite that relationship as well. Excellent. So that's Tasha dot spell it on Instagram. T-A-S-H-A dot S-P-I-L-L-E-T-T on Instagram. And you can find links to her books and probably a whole lot more, TashaSpillett.com. And congratulations on all of the work that you're doing and, and congratulations on the mothering that you're doing because that's it's a huge job. So way to go. Thank you, Jessica. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. Miigwech, egose, merci. Please don't leave without hearing me tell you that you are worthy and your time is worthy, which is why I'm so happy you chose to listen to this podcast. If there was something in this message that resonated with you, please take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram story and tag me at jessicadumas01 because if you found this helpful, your friends and your cousins will want to know about it. Until next time, decide you are worthy of what you want and go get it.